Although produced for television, it is based on subject material that may be unsuitable for and unsettling to younger and impressionable viewers. Parental guidance and viewer discretion is recommended. all you movie junkies and cinephiles it's time for the sls cast with your hosts matt and tim and welcome one and all to episode 348 of the sls cast yes ladies and gentlemen this is the final v8 of enzo ferrari episode of the sls cast because it turns out that between 1989 and continuing until 1995, the final V8 model, developed under the direction of Enzo Ferrari before his death, commissioned to production posthumously even, was the Ferrari 348. And with that wonderful little bit of Ferrari knowledge, I have... Of course, I'm Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. So when the guy died, how did they transport his ca- his cactus? His, his, uh, <laughs> his, now I said cactus. Now I can't think of what it's actually called. Casket? Yeah, casket. How do they transfer his casket? Because if you're known for being the creator, the maker, the visionary of Ferrari... You know, you can't just use a regular car that you would use to regularly transport ca- ca- caskets. Transport caskets. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not sure. A hearse. In America, we do call those hearses. They don't say. I'm, I'm looking here at, at uh, his death, and all it was is that he passed away at the age of 90. His death was not made public until two days later as by his request to compensate for the late registration of his birth. Oh. Yeah, nothing really stated about the service itself. So, maybe they just made a Ferrari his casket. I don't know. Maybe he was cremated, and then that wasn't a problem at all. Because I'm pretty sure you could fit an urn inside a Ferrari. I mean, I wonder if, like, how Elon Musk will finally do away with his body when he's finished (laughs) it with it. You know, like, will he blast off into space? Exactly. That's my thought, is they'll probably just zap his ashes into the atmosphere or something. Although he does seem like somebody that wouldn't go unless it was on his own terms. But who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Uh, In this particular instance, I must say, I'm not particularly in the care mode. So, what are you up to, sir? I am in the midst of watching the... John Waters collection of films. I just, Ooh, okay. I, I, I heard from uh, somebody down the grapevine that he does great commentary on his films, like the, the director's commentary, special feature and all that stuff. Okay. So I've been going sure. through and just renting all of his movies and I'll rewatch the movie and then, you know, watch it again with the commentary. And it's absolutely rewarding. But it's been fun watching, starting uh, with Multiple Maniacs, which they released not too long ago on uh, Criterion. But starting with that film, watching it, and then listening to his commentary about the the making of it and why he decided to feature certain things, I suppose. So it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, were you ever a fan of John Waters with, like, Hairspray or Serial Mom? Or Crybaby. Or Crybaby, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I have always been a, I think it's safe to say a casual fan of John Waters. If I know that he is specifically doing something, then I will, then I will absolutely check it out. Like, I am an Audible member, and so... One of the, there was one on some deal, some book or something that I was able to get into. And I saw that he, and I wasn't really going to get the book, but then I saw that he narrated it. So, you know what? I'm going to do it. Um, and the reason why I say casual fan who is into what he's doing is because I won't seek it out, but if it's presented to me or if I know about it, then I will definitely check it out. And, uh, yeah. So that's pretty cool. I'm glad that you are into that because now. 
you'll be able to let me know the really cool stuff, and then I can go and check it out. You know, uh, it's very difficult to recommend anything by John Waters. Why do I like Multiple Maniacs so much is because they feature it features rosary penetration in the in a church. That's why I like the movie. Now, would that be a reason why you would like the movie? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I suppose if you were to recommend it, I would probably check it out. Well, let's see. Me, I guess I'll just make my little humble brag, my hashtag weird flex, but okay. It looks like I'm now a uh, Founder Circle member of Disney+. Plus. And not everybody gets to say that. So I think that's pretty cool. When does your, like, cult hood come in? November 12th of 2019. With all your charms and potions and sacrificial mm-hmm. knives and spoons. That's right. In terms of the access start date, that's the same as everybody else. Disney Plus is available. will be available on, on November 12th. And the only special that I got was a reduced rate for the membership. But I also had to pay three years up front. So there is that. <laughs> you know what's great about the Disney Plus deal is that it could also loop into being a Christmas gift for your family. Merry Christmas. You have Disney Plus still. And there you have it. That's like one group gift. They don't know how much it costs, yet they have access to all of Disney and National Geographic. That is true. Okay, and you know what? Not for nothing, I'm actually kind of excited about the Nat Geo stuff, and I actually like the Disney Nature films. I hear they're good. I I am definitely not in the least upset that I'll have access to that. And I am also not going to lie, I I do plan on completely rotting my brain over the Christmas break and trying to absorb as much of The Simpsons as humanly possible. I know it's dumb, but I've had this kind of lifelong dream. Not lifelong. Simpsons have only been around for like 26 years. But 30. about 10... Is it 30 now? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, 30 years. All right. So, here's what's up. Probably about 10 years ago, I saw The Simpsons season, whatever, 18, 19, something like that, right? And I'm like, you know, I kind of want to start watching The Simpsons. But but the series or the season was like 50 bucks or something. And I'm sitting there going, and I definitely don't want to start with 18. I'd want to start with the beginning. And so I was like, there's just no way I'm going to sit here and buy, spend $50 a year on this stuff just to get this thing. I was like, maybe somehow they'll do like, the, the, the series will end and then they'll do some kind of like, you know, $500 mega package or something like that. And then I'll just jump in. Well, now I don't have to do that. I can just sit down, go to my Disney Plus, press play, and watch The Simpsons and be totally caught up. Well, FX did a whole marathon a couple years ago where they all they would... played was just nonstop Simpsons. But you know what's funny about waiting an extra 10 years, Matt, is that another 2,000 episodes have been produced. <laughs> Something like that. Let's see. I wonder. Let's just Google it real fast just for fun. And it says 662. Okay, so not 2,000. But I i mean, I'm there with you, man. I've been wanting to do this for quite a while, but when FX uh, decided that they were going to do the gung-ho marathon, uh, I was only able to watch the episodes that were being shown when I was not at, at work. Because you really can't set your DVR to record 12 <laughs> hours of The Simpsons, because then you have to like spend 12 hours to watch it, but then you're missing the rest, you know... It's weird. Like, you have to have absolutely no life to sit through a basic cable, or I guess a premium-ish cable uh, marathon of a TV show. Exactly. And at least with Disney+, Plus, I'll just be able to jump in and, you know, just watch the 20 minutes at a time, right? So, I mean, if I'm if I'm just completely lazy over the Christmas break and doing nothing... I could theoretically knock out a season in like an evening or an afternoon. So, I mean, I could probably, if I really try hard and completely ignore my family, because, you know, that's what the holidays are about. 
I would be able to, I might be able to get through like the first 10 years. So, uh, but no, I mean, it's just one of those things that I, it was, it was really for me, I was probably going to get Disney Plus anyway, but when I saw that they had the Fox catalog and they were going to do all the Simpsons, that was kind of the clincher for me. I'm like, yeah, I got to get it. I got to get it just so I can watch Simpsons. So, I mean, the price is great for six bucks, but I wonder if they're going to start showing seven. like it is seven dollars a month plus tax. Okay, well, even if it was more than ten dollars, I would be a little bit foolish not to consider it. But I'm not going to get it unless I have Ooh, a really good reason. Either have kids or they actually poured over their uh, like special features, their documentaries. Uh, featurettes and whatnot that you'd be able to find on the Blu-rays and, you know, on, on, on all their, their DVDs and whatnot from over the years. Now, that right there is what would get me. Well, I think someone like you, though, might have a good time with the original Disneyland series and the stuff that would eventually become, you know, the wonderful world of Disney and stuff like that. They're going to have all that? Yeah, they're going to have everything. Yeah. Or they can do, like, the silly symphonies and all that stuff. Everything. The only thing they're not going to have is Song of the South because they're scared. And then they're going to, whatever it is that they've whitewashed, they'll make sure it's the whitewashed versions. Fantasia. Fantasia, the Pecos Bill series, and uh, I think Dumbo. I'm not 100%. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you're able to do that. I mean, it is giving off a lot of cultish vibes, though. The inner circle, Disney Plus inner circle. <laughs> well, do you have to get like your retina scanned every time you log in, just so that they know? No, the no, inner no, no. It, is in it, it, no, no, presence? not mine. The, it, my firstborns. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, you know, like a proper cult. How about we do some news? What do you say? Let's do it. Here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> Alright, so first up from me, actually only up from me, from bloodydisgusting.com, or more accurately, bloody-disgusting.com, by way of John Squire's Tank Girl reboot reportedly being developed by Margot Robbie. That's right. John writes, we haven't seen Tank Girl on the big screen since director Rachel Talale's film adaptation of the comic series back in 1995, which starred Laurie Petty as the title character. But it looks like a brand new adaptation may be on its way, revealed by co-creator Alan Martin today. And this was published today as we record the 9th of September, 2019. Now, there is a tweet that's being quoted here, just heard that it's, and it goes as follows, quote, just heard that Margot Robbie's company have optioned rights from MGM to make a new Tank Girl movie, now several months into development. Uh, we haven't been contacted by any of the parties involved with the project, so not sure if there will be any input from the original creators, end quote. Um, and that's pretty much it. This is the, the production company in general is Lucky Chap Entertainment, and there is no actual word on whether or not Robbie plans on starring in the film. But I was a fan of Tank Girl back in the 90s. Were you, Tim? Not really. Uh, I caught it on Showtime as a youngin. Um, mainly because I saw there was possibly some brief nudity in it, and that's what drew me in. Um, I don't remember actually seeing any or not, so it left zip, zero impression on me um, as a kid. But we've talked about Tank Girl before on the show. I know you are a fan. Isn't that Isn't she based on a comic book or something? It is actually based on a comic book. And even though she is based on a comic book, uh, that's kind of what makes the movie so much fun is that it takes its source material and translates the insanity to the screen. And so it, it was just way out there. Honestly, I feel like it was ahead of its time. And I think that's kind of one of the things that caused the movie to not do as well. Um, it's one of the few true original comic book movies that my parents actually enjoy. 
And that's saying something. And they enjoyed it back in the 90s. That's really saying something. Um, and yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, it's a very, very brief article. If you want to check it out again over at bloodydisgusting.com, uh, Tank Girl Reboot reportedly being developed by Margot Robbie by way of John Squires. That's my news, sir. What do you got for us? First up for me from Deadline.com, Paramount putting a new face on action hit Face Off, written by Mike Fleming Jr., and it says this, exclusive, Paramount Pictures is giving a facelift to Face Off, the 1997 John Woo-directed action thriller that starred John Travolta and Nick Cage. The studio will reboot the film with a new cast. Oren Uziel has been set to write the script. And Neil Moritz will produce, and David Permut will be executive producer. Given a fairly preposterous-sounding premise, the original was a wild, uh, a wild ride. Travolta played FBI agent Sean Archer, who is obsessed with catching a homicidal sociopath named Castor Troy, who is responsible for killing the Fed's son. The agent undergoes facial transplant surgery and takes the mug of his nemesis so he can be sent to prison to find out, uh, prison to find out a bomb's whereabouts and stop an attack. The plan goes awry when the bad guy wakes up and takes the face of the FBI agent. Soon the new faced caster visits the agent with the villainous face and takes glee in taunting him, telling him that the face surgeons have been killed, that the good guy is stuck with the face he hates the most, and that the villain is going home to bed his wife and take over his house life. It escalates into a series of choreographed action scenes, and by the time it was over, the film became Wu's biggest with a 250 uh, excuse me, $245 million global gross. Mike Werb and Michelle uh, and Michael Collery wrote the original. And it says here that Uziel's credits range from 22 Jump Street to the Cloverfield Paradox and Sonic the Hedgehog. Deal gives Paramount the opportunity to exploit its library, which it has done with Mission Impossible and the upcoming Top Gun Maverick. I'm a big fan of the original face-off film, uh, as well as a big John Travolta in early 90s Nicolas Cage fan. I'm a big John Woo fan. Um, I am not exactly too sure how I feel about this. I don't think this movie would work as like what made the the movie so fun back in the early 90s the mid 90s was because it all had to be um it all had to look and real look and feel as real as possible they had to use practical effects and the cgi that they did use it was very very limited <laughs> i'd be afraid now that would be super cgi it would be a little hokey they'd probably try to take things way too seriously and let's face it who can seriously live up to uh nicholas cage's performance in this film Uh, or even john travolta's performance in this in the original film uh matt what do you think about this i'm like you tim i thoroughly enjoyed this film when it came out and because i thoroughly enjoyed the film i still like it to this day however I am also cognizant of the fact that this movie, shall we say, generously, I feel most would consider, has not aged well. And again, I'm I'm being generous to those who would watch it today and go, how the hell can you like this movie? Well, it's a different time. And I agree with you. The practical practical effects really helped with it. Uh, Very limited CGI. But I think that the movie itself could be remade because what they could do is still keep the essence, keep the core of the story intact, right? Um, you've got family man with a vengeance going after supervillain and the exchange of faces needs to happen. And so they do. And then, of course, your bad guy who's not supposed to wake up does and wreaks havoc on the whole plan. Okay. You keep that core in check. 
you can still have a great movie because much like like for me one of the reasons why i really liked the the total recall remake was because the only thing they changed they kept the exact core of the movie the same but what they did was they changed the conspiracy and by doing that it it let them have the homage to the original film but basically um they gave you the shell but changed everything so that they could give you their own movie now i understand i'm in the minority on the total recall reboot and that's okay or remake but that's what i liked about it so i think that if they do the same thing here we're just going to keep the core we're going to give you you know the whole shell of the plot that you know and then change the story elements enough so that you don't have a family that's the way they express their love for one another is to smear their hand all over the face. That's <laughs> that's kind of bad, dude. <laughs> Without breaking eye contact, either. Right? So, it's stuff like that. Um, and I really think that if you've got, if you bring in solid, a solid, solid action director and... And, and leave, and, and just give us that, that new 2019, 2020 sensibility of excellent action. You could, you just could do it. And this way, you and I will always have our fallen hero, as it were, of the original face off. And we can keep it in its nineties glory. And yet we might get a chance to have something that will live on for another 20 years by having a remake that could be good um so that not to be you know not to vacillate or anything and not to have the the pole you know the fence post firmly up the butt but i i think this one might be a good idea i guess i just don't want to see a remake of it period it's like the the (laughs) the story the plot is so ridiculous I mean, seriously, come up. Except with we've got, else. we've had face transplants now. <laughs> like in real life, we've had real face transplants now, and they've come out pretty damn good. Well, not so it's not, not right that far fetched anymore. I think when didn't the face like really have to sit for like three years before it starts taking shape? I want to say it's closer to a year, but but it works. That's what I'm saying. So it's not it's not far-fetched anymore. That's why I think that they could make it work because since it's worked in real life, you know, they had the poor guy who got attacked um with the whole uh bath salts thing or whatever it was. They had the woman who was attacked by the chimpanzee. Mm-hmm. They had uh of some fireman or something like that in France or something and they had to do another face transplant. So there's been a few around the world now, and they the only thing they haven't been able to to truly fix are the eyes. But um, even with that, it's it's passable. So I don't know. I would I would I would be okay with it because we could see it in a new context. It wouldn't be as ridiculous. My last piece of news, and I suppose it is the news that will end the news. This go-around is via filmstories.co.uk, the morality of taking your own sweets into the cinema. And I'm just going to read the first few paragraphs to this article. Uh, It was published on September 2nd, and it was written by uh, somebody from (laughs) filmstories.co.uk. UK. (laughs) And it says this, smuggling snacks in or paying over the top prices to support your local cinema. What's the best to do? Asks Simon. Back on the drive to the UCI Preston many moons ago, back when the UCI in Preston was still a thing, I'd always earmarked the shop to go to on the way in order to buy a few snacks uh, as Russell free as possible, of course, to take along with me. I was a student at the time, and the multiplex was a regular chance to switch off that I constantly seized. Over time, my reliance on, my reliance on cinema snacks was waned a little, call it older age, but I still find myself recoiling a little when I'm vaguely tempted to buy something. Recoiling, that is, as the price of some of the items in, uh, 
of the items on offer. In a summer where Poundland has been offering an enormous bag of satisfactory popcorn for, well, one euro, all the, or one pound, since this is England, and I guess Poundland is a theater chain, I don't know, uh, although the Hillsowen branch had long since mysteriously sold out, spending north of four quid for a box of freshly popped stuff isn't that tempting, really. One consequence of my advancing years, however, is that I now also have deeper understanding of cinema economics, in much the same way that a film cinematic run was seen in the days of thriving physical media as the promo for the more lucrative home format release, so the selling of a cinema ticket isn't where a picture house makes its cash, rather that the return comes from the collection of food and drinks that they try and get you to buy. The scaling down of personal, uh, excuse me, the scaling down of personnel at cinemas is one of the reasons, therefore, that most of us end up buying our ticket either from a soulless Dalek-esque machine. Uh, and the article goes on from there. I've read it a couple times before, but reading it out loud uh, this time around, I just realized how um, not great it's it's written. So the person who wrote this, if you wrote the, if you uh, are listening to this, I apologize, I guess, but you wrote this too close to your native tongue of of English, I suppose. <laughs> but based on that, Matt, what do you think about this? Do you think um, we should be able to bring our own sweets into the movie theater, or is it a part of the experience? You go, you buy your $4 popcorn, you buy your, you buy your $4 candy. I mean, I was just at the movie theater yesterday to go see It Chapter 2. I didn't buy anything, but I was looking at the prices, and they're really not that bad. Since uh, being a part of the AMC Prime membership dealio thing, um, you know, we get the, like the $5 discounts every so often. So I'll use that to go towards popcorn or whatever, but still, it's actually not horribly expensive. Um, but then again, I'm talking from going to the movie with just either myself or one other person. So, but what do you think? It's a bit of a double-edged sword because while in, I'm, I'm not exactly for blatantly ripping them off, I think they kind of bring it on themselves by egregious pricing for what you are getting. Okay, now I understand that's where they make their money because of having to split profits of the movie tickets and yada, yada, yada. So concessions is really where their bread and butter are. I will also admit that being an A-list an member does make it a lot easier because you automatically get 10% off anything you buy. And then you do, over time, stack up the $5 things. So that's cool. I actually, at one time, I had so much, I had so many $5 things stacked up, I was able to buy, like, two large popcorns and, like, three large drinks for the whole family that came with the free refills, and it was, like, four, $4 or something, so, <laughs> it was, like, four, four, $4, $6, so, I mean, yeah, I get it, but the thing is, is that when it comes to candy, um, it's never, ever been a good deal. I mean, it's, it's just not, not when, and the thing is, is that you know it's a terrible deal. I would, it'd be one thing if maybe they just doubled the price. So like, you know that this box of Reese's is the exact same box of Reese's that you could go and get at Kroger or your local dollar store or whatever for a dollar. And they're, and if they were to charge two, right, then okay. That's fine. You got to pay double, but at least, you know, you're only paying two bucks. But no, they go and they charge four dollars. They charge five dollars for that dollar. And you know, it's a dollar box. So I just feel like they kind of bring it on themselves. Um, and so I, I don't, I guess I'm kind of Switzerland. I don't care. I don't do it because I'm not a big candy at the movie kind of person. Um, but do you get popcorn? But, I do generally. I will uh, unless it's just me, then uh, I'll get popcorn every once in a while. Is is it good? So what I like to do is when I do get popcorn, I like to get a large popcorn and a large drink, and then I'll just munch on the popcorn and da da da, da whatever, and then I'll dump out the rest of the popcorn and refill the popcorn with the fresh hot popcorn on the way out, 
and then refill my drink. And then when I come home, the kids have fresh popcorn to snack on and then they can have my drink. Right. Um, and, and I'll usually do like a Coke zero for myself and then refill it with like Dr. Pepper or something for them. Right. Um, so this way I feel like I'm getting a good value out of it because yes, I spent $15, but I got as much popcorn as I wanted. I got to drink what I wanted. I can dump out the rest so I don't, so I don't overdo it. And then the kids get some stuff when they get home. So I feel like it, you know, it's a good deal that way, but, uh, yeah, but, but we don't do candy. I don't let the kids do candy either. It's just, it's not a good deal. So I don't feel bad for the theaters when people do bring stuff in. Um, but I guess I wouldn't necessarily advocate it either. But that's also why in concessions you're seeing more like fancier pretzels, you know, you can get like the artisan right. pretzels, the artisan Bavarian pretzels with cheese. You, there are yes. the candy pretzels now. The cinema, the cinema, the cinema. The specialty popcorns too. They have the specialty popcorns now. The caramel popcorns and the special cheddar popcorns and stuff like that. Yep, seen, I've even seen that lately. I think that's fun, but I've, I there has to be, in my opinion, somewhat of a of a regulation because let's face it. Do people really give a shit whether they sneak candy in now or or not? I mean, people are, still do it all the time. Here in L.A., people sneak in things all the time. Lately, now that people are getting colds and coming down with illnesses, I've been seeing a lot of uh, cough drops. And so they fill up their... Right when the movie starts, mind you. I'm not talking about the trailers. After the trailers are over and right when the movie starts, that's when they bust out their industrial-sized bag of hauls, open it up, and then dump it (laughs) into the freaking cup holder. And throughout the entire movie, they just sift through that cup holder to find the appropriately, you know, sized haul, and they spend time opening it, you know. I, I... I just wish in a way, because even if you do buy candy at the concessions, there's still plastic, there's still paper, there's still crinkly, ruffling noises. I just don't get it why you, you know, you have the, the box, just have the candy in the box. Why does the candy have to be in a plastic bag that's also inside of a box? You know, like, is that like a safety issue? Is that a quality no control idea. issue? or <laughs> I think it's really just to make it, um, I, I think it's really so that the movie theater can buy in bulk and keep it for a long time because it doesn't sell because they overcharge. That's my personal take on it. Yeah. So. Well, we definitely didn't solve this crisis. It wasn't much discussing, but I'm very interested in what listeners have to say about this because same. I mean, there are people. I mean, more adamant than I am about bringing outside, about not bringing outside food into uh, the theater. But you know, I'm just glad we don't have pickles anymore. No freaking pickle smells. Nothing other freaking god-awful foods i just hate it now when people bring in like their leftover barbecue their leftover food from dinner and they have themselves a little picnic in the middle of a holocaust movie oh my god i guess that's really terrible Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, well then, I guess that brings us to the end of the news. It is time for some movie-esque action with our copycat throwdown, is it not, sir? Copycat throwdown. It's... It's... The... The... Copy... Copy... Cat... Cat... Throwdown! Throwdown! That's right, it's the copycat throwdown! Well, that's right, it's the copycat throwdown! Stop it! Stop, stop it. it. No, no, seriously. Stop it. Oh, right. Like, stop repeating? Stop repeating. Right. Oh, uh, okay. I'm going to kick gonna your ass. ass. Throwdown throw time. Throw All right. This time on Copycat Throwdown, we are completing the cycle of it. 
Um, we are going to do the It miniseries, the part two, uh, uh, which would have been the 1990s for the miniseries from 1990. Ver- uh, and then I guess we're going to make it versus the It chapter two from 2019. And, well, we need to more or less start with 2019. Isn't that, that's what we decided, right, Tim? Sure, why not? Yeah, it's the newer one. You can have the upper hand, okay. I suppose. All right. <laughs> Here we go, folks. It, 2019, Chapter 2. Oh, my gosh, I can talk. It, Chapter 2, 2019. Something happens to you when you leave this town. The farther away, the hazier it all gets. But me, I never left. I remember all of it. We made an oath. I swear. If it isn't dead. If it ever comes back. We'll come back to it. We didn't stop it. Pennywise. The clown. (laughs) We can't let it happen again. Hello? Get Supernatural, American supernatural horror film, right? It's the sequel to 2017's It, and they are both based on the 1986 novel of the same name by Stephen King. All right, this one is directed by Andy Muschietti and was with a screenplay written by Gary Dauberman. We're grown up now, and we have Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader, Isaiah Mustafa, Jay Ryan, James Ransom, Andy Bean, and Bill Skarsgård. And of course, Bill Skarsgård is back as Pennywise. All of our young people have grown up, and they must return to Derry to put a final end to Pennywise and the Deadlights. I don't know how I feel about this movie. Because, again, let me preface, because I know we talked about this when the original It came out, and we were doing this copycat throughout on before. Just a quick recap. Against the miniseries with um, Tim Curry as Pennywise, please remember, miniseries. This was a 1990 made-for-TV miniseries. So, in terms of horror and stuff, there's only so much they can do in terms of violence and things of that nature. So... I think for its time and for what it did, I think the miniseries did very, very well. It's one of the reasons why I own it, no pun intended, uh, on DVD. But as good as the miniseries was for its time, there are just certain things that haven't aged well and certain things that can just be done better in an R-rated movie. It Chapter 2 does this. They've upped the timeline so whereas they kept everything in the relative present of 1990 versus the 1960s, here we're doing something in the 1989 kind of thing that they're, that's that kind of time frame. And then of course, 27 years later, they're bringing it to night, brings it up to 2016, I guess, in the film. I don't know. There's really bad CGI that de-aging didn't work, guys. It, it breaks the film up so badly when you're, when you're desperately hanging on to the critical nature of tying what's happening in the now to what's happened then. But damn it, if the actors and actresses, especially as adults, aren't really, really good because they are, um, you are taking a, great risk by not playing into the horror as much 
in order to give the drama a chance. And, uh, you know, to be fair, a fair number of, uh, of grown up jokes that both feel more accurate and apt because they're adults who are trying to relive their childhood and or to an extent show how much they haven't grown but at the same time feel tired because you already spent over two hours watching these one-liners and this kind of idiocracy in the first one. So you forgive it because they're kids and you spent over two hours with it and now they want you to spend two hours and 49 minutes with it again as adults. Then you have 90s It, which again, the horror elements themselves simply have not aged well and you go up and basically you kind of see what it is you're going up against in the form of this spider. What? It's a fucking... It's a spider? Seriously? This is what we've been waiting for in this, in this miniseries? And more, and more on that, it's a spider that at first really more or less you're only getting the shadow on the wall of in the cave. Okay. Um, and of course it's not, strictly speaking, a spider. It's just how we perceive it because spiders are scary. And it was a stop motion spider too. And to see something more attuned with today's CGI elements and giving a valid reason for it to be in CGI so that you bought into it in 2019 made a stronger fear-based attempt at the ending. But it didn't quite land either. So I, I truly, I don't, I just don't know where to go with this because nobody really reacted in the theater. And this was a packed theater. I went last night, 630, um, I mean, completely packed. And the movie, I, I guess minor spoiler for whatever it's worth. I don't know. We're talking about something that's been done for a long time. So you probably already know about how it ends. Um, no real jump scares to be found in the movie, so there's no real reactions from the crowd. Um, crowd laughed, you know, at the appropriate times. But, and, and even, there was even a smattering of applause when the movie was over, but I just didn't feel like I connected with it. Not like I connected with 1990. But then the ending... I feel it was stronger and I feel like they did justice to, oh, what's his face? The kid who offs himself. Oh, Stanley? Was it Stanley? Yeah, at the beginning. Okay. Yeah, the, the loser yeah. who thought it would be best. He'd be saving the group if he killed himself, I guess. Yes, there you go. Okay. Um, so they, I feel like they kind of did justice to it. There's, there's more story. There's more meat to the story in 2019. But I just can't get over the fact that I feel like, all in all, it just didn't land. And so that's what I'm so torn about. I don't, I don't feel like this is worthy of a draw, though. I feel like there's gotta be something, because I did. I gave, I gave it a draw. Um, it won, it, part one versus it from 2017, a draw. Tim landed in the 2017 column. And we did actually rate. 2017's it you gave it a four yeah you gave it a 4.75 and i gave it a four i mean that's how much we enjoyed chapter one i just can't say that i can't even say i would give it a four this time oh i know i couldn't tuesday night it's 30 years later and right on schedule the killing start up again six so far maybe more it's back and it's mad take your pick Something bad's going to happen to one of us. Get out of Derry while you still can. I'm going back in. This time I'm going to kill it. Something's coming. The thrilling conclusion of Stephen King's It, Tuesday night. God, I don't know. Tim, help me out. Bail me out. Start talking. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say anymore. Kind of like going back to like the applauding that people applauded. For what? I don't know. I just didn't get anything from from this film. At the end of, like, I knew that there was going to be a chapter two. 
you know, this is a two-parter story here. But after seeing It Chapter 1 for the first time and hearing people's reactions who didn't know that when it came up to reveal that the film was actually It Chapter 1, you know, people were actually freaked out by that. Why? Because they were touched by the film. They were touched by how scary and creepy and how delightfully... Uh, how much heart there actually was to the story. You know, the whole story story between uh, Bill and Georgie is absolutely heartbreaking, you know, when you, when you look at it. And they were able to capture that so wonderfully with It Chapter 1. In fact, Pennywise wasn't my favorite part of It Chapter 1. It was all the character stuff. Um, and... That also should go without saying that I wanted to see more of Pennywise. I wanted there to be more to Pennywise than shaky camera, like loud shaky camera, and jump scares. Well, they doubled down on the jump scares with it, Chapter 2. Um, and you definitely see some more of Pennywise. I don't know really what his screen time is. But there's only one effective element of horror in the entire film... And that is the main reveal of Pennywise. It was kind of creepy there at the beginning of the movie where you see him, uh, where you see the guy that's drowning or, you know, that's struggling to swim. He's caught in the current. And every time his head bobbles up from his point of view, you see Pennywise on the banks with the glowing eyes. Now, I thought that was very interesting. That whole opening was very interesting. But then you had the reveal, the proper reveal of Pennywise underneath the bleachers with the little girl creepy wonderful i loved how they utilized the shadows and the lighting and it was so cool but then they go into when he does consume his victims it's like that weird monster you know where the monster kind of comes out of the skin a little bit to eat the person to latch onto the person that's where it just loses it for me and then you have the the pers the perspective like you have these creatures in the chapter one, you had Stanley versus the picture lady or Eddie versus the, the, uh, the, uh, who's the dude with that nasty fungus all over its skin, the leper, you know, Eddie versus the leper. Well, when you're looking at the kids compared to these creatures, these monsters, these concoctions of Pennywise, you really don't know, like, how big these are trying to be. They're very oblonged in shape. They're very mismatched. And you really have no sense, like, because they don't have really any human qualities, that they just look like um, a CGI jumbled messes. Uh, and in the chapter one, I had a big issue with the look of the picture lady that attacks Stanley. In chapter two, I had a huge issue with any of the CGI characters uh i mean i like the whole chinese restaurant scene with the the little eyeball and the baby bird or whatever i thought that was pretty cool and interesting but none of the other monster effects even pennywise as the uh giant spider none of that had any effect on me now the special effects from 1990 had zero effect on me whatsoever but I found 1990s It Part 2 uh, charming to watch, an interesting watch, because they were trying to create something terrifying, sad, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to mold a very graphic Stephen King adaptation within the confines of a... PG, PG-13, within the confines of a PG, PG-13 television made-for-TV miniseries. And the routes that they decided to take were a little more interesting, even when they weren't... Even when they weren't um, executed not so greatly. Um... Yes, part two has, yes, 2019's It, chapter two, has excellent work done, uh, features excellent performances from the core cast, the older core cast, 
Um, and there's some great stuff to look at. I mean, I was definitely entertained for the whole entire two hour and 50 minute runtime, but I didn't get much out of anything. They were trying to focus on the characters and focus on the story, but they didn't really focus too much on the scares and the build up to something. I mean, what's the, uh, uh, the buildup is part of being scared, you know, that that's, it's part of the package, you know, you can't have a good scare without the buildup in the sense of space and atmosphere, you know, and once you start seeing all the goofy CGI and, uh, start hearing these goofy quips, there's, it, t all that takes away from the atmosphere. You're, you're, you're immediately taken from that atmosphere, from that mindset. And ultimately, that was annoying me uh, the most. Um, the movie did not have to be two hours and 40 minutes. Matt, I don't know if you felt the same way at all. I think having the, uh, the, the new segments with the young kids, I thought that was all pretty pointless. Um, Matt touched on this earlier. You can definitely see the CGI work that went into de-aging the kids, especially... I think, is it Ben, the character, the the chubby kid? I'm, yes. Yeah, Ben. Yes, it's Ben. I mean, look at the softness on his face. It looks 100% unnatural. On uh, on on Richie, the, the goofy, the tra uh, Richie, the trash talker. Oh, yeah, R R Richie Tozier. That's Finn Wolfhard, by the way, as a kid. He's on Stranger Things. Yeah, I mean, you can, like, they magnify his eyes and the glasses, it looks like, to hide some of the crazy softening they had to do uh, for the, you know, for, for the, for the de-aging. And one scene, I mean, there's really, there was, I honestly think that, again, not much of a point in having young kids come back as their scenes really didn't add up to much. I mean, there was that scene with the two Bills, old Bill, the young Bill, and, the, and Georgie, when they're recreating that scene from chapter one in the basement, when old Bill comes out of the water and he's there, and you see young Georgie and you see old, uh, young Bill. Well, young Bill still looks good. Georgie, on the other hand, has aged in two years. I mean, people age, and there's no hiding that fact. So immediately, it takes you out of the moment because you're focused on how much... Georgie doesn't look like young Georgie any anymore. Matt, do you feel the same way that the movie didn't have to be two hours and 50 minutes, that they could have left out some of the more kid-centric stuff? Yes. Yes. I think the only time that the kid stuff was even remotely um, relevant was when they were getting their, their tokens. Because it was combining their childhood fears with the or their childhood memories with what they were having to confront in order to get the tokens. So I was good with that. Um, the very first time that they go into the hideout, their fort, I was more or less okay with that. But then after that, no, I really there's just really no other point for it. Right, and even then. When I was at least remotely okay with it, the CGI completely broke it. I mean, it just completely broke the immersion. I'm sitting here going, oh my God, this is so stupid. So, I mean, I, I just truly don't think it would have been that expensive. You knew beyond knowing that you were going to get to film chapter two. You should have just taken an extra month and filmed the extra scenes two years ago. You should have just done it. I don't care if the script was done. Have extra material that you can pull from and create. You know what the damn movie's about. You know what the book's about. You've got stuff that you can work with even if the script isn't totally done. Even if there is no script at all, you still could have said, well, let's see what we can do with a few scenes, and then at least you'd have stuff to pull from. You know, maybe you'd have to recut it or re-edit it. But then at least you'd have something, but they didn't do that. Yeah. No, I don't think it should have been two hours and 50 minutes either. I also felt like the carnival scene was a complete waste. Well, like, I like how... Okay, well, 
and that stupid tongue. Yeah, just edged it. Yeah, just edged. Yeah, t- took it out um, and drug it out. But I will say this: the original carnival scene where you had the gay couple. Oh, in the opening. Yeah, the opening when you had jumped into that. There, they. I, I liked that it was almost as if the evil of Pennywise, the evil of it had kind of bled into those assholes at the beginning, right? And so I kind of liked seeing that as a harbinger to give a reason for Pennywise to come back. Like, finally the hate was strong enough for him to, you know, awaken, I suppose. Um, so I liked that. What I didn't like was coming to the realization that in our life in 2019, in today's day and age, just how much further we have to go in some social things. Um, I could not believe, I literally could not believe. So when the two guys kiss, okay, probably 10, 12% of the audience, if I had to put a percentage to it, like snickered and kind of cracked wise at it. Oh, really? And I'm like, yes. Wow. I was offended. I'm like, what the hell? Like, Guys, it's 2019. This should not bother you. Even, I mean, if you're not into it, whatever. But this should not bother you to the point that you're snickering and making jokes and stuff. That's like, who the hell? I was, I was legitimately disappointed. I was a little upset. And then so. when they turn around and laughing at all the, anti-gay slurs or the gay slurs that the bullies were thrown out no they didn't laugh at that they literally just kind of you know I, I don't know i guess maybe the people weren't comfortable taking it that far in the audience but the i mean you kind of already gave yourselves away didn't you um i was just so di- oh i was just so disappointed welcome to texas i guess and i guess the last thing that i wanted to say the 1990s at very melodramatic. Very melodramatic. And that ending is goofy beyond belief. I couldn't believe that the whole ending with Bill and his, uh, you know, Bill and that chick is on the bicycle and he's like pedaling fast just to get her to wake up. His, I guess it's his wife. Yeah, because apparently his wife shows up and it puts her in this comatose state. And, you know, that there's a whole entire cheesy-ass ending, which I guess is in the book as well, that they do not do with, uh, they don't adapt that cheesy moment in uh, It Chapter 2. But I definitely would have liked to have seen the trippier space turtle stuff that you did not see in the 1990 uh, film adaptation. It would have been really cool to see some of the cosmic... Uh, origins of of it. I mean, if they were going to go for this almost three-hour runtime, ah, oh, man. Origin explained. It's because they kept, like, teasing it throughout the movie. You saw turtles and hints and clues, but nothing, nothing super, okay. something, you know, tasty. There's a reason for that, though, all right? Um, it's because... So, it... Comes in at something like 1,100 pages or something like that. The paperback. It is a monster read. And one of the things that I thought was at least appreciated and was a huge nod to both the book and to Stephen King, and especially with Stephen King's cameo, I thought was very, very much a good sport to him for doing it. You go through this whole huge book, which is, I mean, it is a monster. It is a beast. And you're like, I'm, I'm so close. I got to get there. I got to get there. And then you finally end the book and you're like, what? What did I just read? And everybody hates the ending. So much like in the movie, everybody gives, gives him a hard time about the ending to his books. And even Stephen King, who, you know, uh, who's the guy in the antique shop, right? Uh, now, didn't like the ending, all right? So that's why they kept harping on it. 
also um, The Dark Tower, right, which is Stephen King's magnum opus, is designed so that all of everything he's ever written will tie in somehow into The Dark Tower. And the turtle god thing that kind of spawned the world we live in, branching off from The Dark Tower, is the reference you kept seeing to the turtles in it, because that's how they were kind of, they're just kind of in the know nods to people who would get it. There's no way you would have needed like another hour to explain all the origin stuff. And then you would, and then by the time you're doing that, you're now bleeding into the dark tower, which means you're bleeding into the Tommy knockers, which means you're bleeding into, um, uh, another series. There's like three different series that he's done uh, and not even series, but like three or four other books that then tie into the dark tower where Pennywise is in it. Um, and makes brief references and appearances. And so you can't yet. Yeah, you just can't, you can't do it. That's why they just kind of did what they did. I'm not exactly sure I understood uh, what you just said, but... Okay, I'm sorry. I, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. I think I just would have loved to have seen a giant space turtle. Just a giant space turtle. Maybe during the you credits. You always watch Kung Fu Panda 2. <laughs> I bet if Terrence Malick made it, I guarantee you he would have had an hour and a half director's cut montage of only the turtle. Just floating through space, <laughs> eating worlds, galaxies, and whatnot. And somehow, somehow it turns into Jodorowsky's Dune. The spice is life. The spice must flow. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <coughs> Pardon me. I'm so sorry. Forgot to mute that. Anyway. And um, I do like they included the Kiss Me Fat Boy <laughs> Uh line in some way they included the kiss me fat boy line in the 2019 movie but that was always my favorite from the 1990 miniseries kiss me fat boy and just the shot of tim curry with that ridiculous smile on his face yeah so i'm gonna throw a rating at this i i guess i can say i liked it i guess so i'll give it a three what are you gonna give it um, Twisting your arm for some kind of rating. I don't want to give it a three, but it feels like I sh- should. Right? Um, right? That's what I'm. I'm. Yeah. No, no. You know what? No, no. Two point five. No, I'm. I'm not. I can't. I can't. It's not good enough. Two point five. I'll give it a two point five. Sorry. Yeah, I uh, recently yeah. rewatched the first it. Rented it, watched it, and I watched it with the wife, and we're both like, man, this is not nearly as good as it was seeing it in the movie theater. Because then you just start, when you're watching it at home, and you've seen it before, you start looking into things a little more, and you start thinking about things a little bit more, and you start realizing, like, these scares really aren't that great. This is a movie that's that's all about the story and the relationships. Right. And... Really, the horror aspect, which is like the glue to all those all those all those other aspects, should work a hundred percent, and it really does not. In fact, you're just really jaded by uh, Skarsgård' excellent turn as as Pennywise. I guess then, admitting that on the whole, I don't like the movie. I don't like the 2019 as much, and I'm giving credit where credits due for a 30 year old miniseries. I would still say that because the overall ending based on the material was stronger in 2019, I would say that the edge goes to 2019 for my copycat throwdown. Oh, I agree. 100%. Yeah. Okay. It checks enough boxes for sure. All right. Yeah. At least it covered the basis. You actually had the uh, spider that looks like a spider. <laughs> okay well then there we go at least we have that taken care of there just weren't stakes that's i guess that's yes. one thing i meant to say i just didn't feel like there were enough stakes so yes that's it. all right so next week folks we've got a special 
film segment, I guess. Uh, uh, we're not going to do news or anything like that. No bonus segment. Our movie segment next week, we're going to start working through the Rambo franchise as we build our way up to Rambo Last Blood. So we're going to do the first three Rambo movies. We got First Blood from 1982, Rambo First Blood Part 2 from 1985, and then Rambo 3 from 1988. Those are going to be the movies for next week. And I believe without further ado, sir, we are now down to the spiel. Spiel on. Oh, Stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck a rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Chomp the one to help, chomp don't get the kill. Say can't hang, say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in Music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we have, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at nitwit12345. And, of course, come aboard that information super when track down Tim on Twitter, if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and your favorite on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down in the old Spotify and Google Play and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to Patreon patreon.com and check us out there and so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to james ransom i get to say this i'm not gonna say i'm really streetwise but i might be more than most people take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week madam perhaps we should be going oh farewell monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you and I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.